is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, March 3rd, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Olean. I'm working from Tampa today. Taylor Schwenk, Sarah Abbott are back in the, the I guess the, you're in the range of Bristol. How are you guys doing today? Doing just great. Getting ready. Taylor's wife and myself and my friend are going to a bounce Pilates class tomorrow. So it's very exciting over here. And Taylor's ex- and Taylor was invited to that, right? Like he was. Uh, <laughs> like, Come on with us, Taylor. Ooh, I, I'm, I must be looking for that invite in the mail. Maybe it's coming today, Sarah. I don't know. I mean, it's. <laughs> may, did you send a carrier pigeon or a raven or something? Um, it's Girls' Day. It's ah, a girl's day. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll I'll do my own thing. It's fine. You guys have a friendship being forged over the podcast, though, Buster. That's the important thing here. The other important thing, Absolutely. real quick. You're on Instagram now. We need. We cannot bury that lead because that's the most oh. important thing that's happening here. Yeah, Sarah. Since you created the account, why don't you give some details? Yes. So be sure to follow at Buster Only underscore ESPN on Instagram. We are going to be sharing clips from the show. So if you like the video stuff, be sure to check out that. And Buster's also going to give us a little insight into Montana life. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. I'm going back there this weekend. I got two days in Tampa. Going to be around the Yankees uh, today and tomorrow. But today, we're going to be talking with Carl Ravitch about some of the broadcasts. And guys, coming up, a story about an umpire uh, who absolutely helped out our broadcast on on Thursday. I think you'll you'll find this really cool. And also a story that Rafael Devers told me about uh, after he signed his big contract, $313.5 million, one of the, I think, one of my big takeaways from this week. Some news and notes as we get started. Miguel Rojas, the Dodgers' new shortstop, is going to withdraw from the WBC and focus on his preparation for the regular season. Of course, this week, Gavin Lux uh, blew out his knee. Miguel Rojas appears to be the guy who's going to get most of the playing time for the Dodgers, so he wants to stay in their camp. Terrible news for the Colorado Rockies. Brendan Rodgers, who's one of the Rockies' best players, may need shoulder surgery that could keep him out the entire 2023 season. But Black uh, noted that multiple MRIs revealed that the damage to Rodgers' shoulders was worse than originally thought. He's 26 years old. He's a gold glove winner. Absolutely stinks. The Royals signed ex-All-Star Jackie Bradley Jr. to a minor league deal. Uh, we saw them uh, have suffered some injuries with their younger outfielders earlier in camps, and now they get an, a, a veteran outfielder. Really, is a, very similar to Michael A. Taylor, who uh, they wound up uh, trading to the Minnesota Twins during the course of the winter time. Some sounds from spring training. How about Anthony Volpe, one of those guys competing for the starting shortstop job for the Yankees? This is what he did in the top of the first inning yesterday. My pick for... Pick for a windblown home run. I didn't pick that. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Volpe. They think uh, this guy is as good a prospect as they've had since Derek Jeter. Hit 18 home runs at double-A last year before September call-up to triple-A. That from the Pirates television network. Uh, that home run was hit down in Bradenton where, yes, the wind was blowing, but Anthony Volpe looks great in the Yankees camp so far. Freddie Freeman did some damage for the Dodgers. Next offering is swung on and hammered deep to right center. Going back to the wall. Gone! A home run for Freeman. His second of the spring. And the Dodgers strike first on a Freddie Homer. It's 2 nothing. 
So Christian Yelich looking for a big bounce back season. Uh, he came to the plate for the Brewers. First pitch of the game. This is what happened. Here's Yelich, and he sends one out towards left. Backing up. Thompson still back, and Yelich has gone deep. Started the game on Tuesday with a ringing double on the first pitch. He goes deep here on Thursday. And Adley Rutschman, superstar catcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Boy, he had a moment yesterday. Give a listen to that one. Wait, Taylor, what happened? Oh, man. It doesn't seem like there was a broadcast crew down there in Florida for this uh, spring training game, you know, with the Orioles' uh, best pitching prospect on the mound as well. That's really weird, Buster. Really weird. I wish, you know, some of that money that the Nationals, they're, hold they're holding from the Nationals or, uh, you know, the money that they didn't spend in free agency. Maybe they send a broadcast crew down there to, to uh, you know, so we can watch their prospects. But uh, instead... You know, World Series of Poker on Mass and check it out. 1 p.m. today. Great, great programming. Uh, for the record, is Taylor Rance. He's wearing an Orioles hat. Mm -hmm. Huge Orioles fan. Not happy that you didn't get to see the home run or Grayson Rodriguez yesterday. Correct. Correct. Very unhappy. And I don't think I'm alone amongst Orioles fans. So just All a, right. just a tip. Well, <laughs> what else you got? Buster, uh, the CJ McCollum show, the low post with Zach Lowe, the hoop collective, my favorite listen uh, among our NBA podcasts. Uh, we're getting down to the end of the season here. I think there's about 20 games left and then it's playoff time. So check out all of our NBA offerings wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. All aboard. It's the Revy Train with Carl Ravitch. On Baseball Tonight. Carl Ravitch, play-by-play -play man on Sunday Night Baseball and, and twice during these four days of exhibition games on ESPN. Ravi, how you doing? 
I'm doing great. You caught me sort of the middle post-workout, so if, uh, I apologize for the sweat, but uh, I'm doing great. And it was a rare uh, drive home from a spring training game versus fly, so that helped. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, uh, my drive to Tampa last night, I just was so excited uh, about everything that we saw this week, uh, the conversations that took place, you know, the broadcasts that we got to do. It was just a lot of fun. What was your takeaway from these four days? Yeah, look, I, I still believe firmly that baseball is in for a historic, massive year. It's going to be wildly successful. I, I think it's going to take a little while for people to actually realize how different the game is until you attend one or watch one on TV. But yesterday, Buster, I, I saw, you know, video of, I think it was Wandy Peralta struck a guy out in 20 seconds. And, yeah, you know, there were innings yesterday when Alex Cora wore that headset and there was the one, two, three inning. I'm guessing that half inning, you know, took three minutes. And I just want to guard against people thinking we're trying to rush this thing away, which we're not, you know, we, we love the game as much as everybody watching it. But part of the new reality is, when a pitcher is on and a bullpen is good and both teams have that, you're going to see a two-hour game. You're going to see an hour and 55-minute baseball game. It's very different, you know, than what we're used to. But be ready, you know, kind of strap your seatbelt on because it's, it's, it is going to move and there's a lot of action and all of that. But I'm really delighted by what we saw and it feels to me, you tell me, but the shift pitch clock are the two biggest things the disengagement doesn't seem to be a huge deal the bigger bases doesn't seem to be a, a huge deal and maybe it's early and they'll start to take advantage or try to take advantage of that but it, it's the pitch clock and it's the shifts that seem to be the ones that are moving ahead as far as changing the game yeah i don't think we're going to see teams strategy uh in terms of stealing bases until we get into the regular season like i feel like that behind yeah. closed doors buck show walter uh, you know, Alex Cora, they're holding the cards, you know, they're not yeah. going to show anybody. But once we get the regular season, we'll see how those uh, change the game. We've already seen how the pitch clock changes the game. An average time reduction from 2022 to 2023, Carl, by 22 minutes. You know, yeah. yesterday's game, let's be honest, We in this uh, exhibition we did between the Phillies and the Red Sox yesterday, it was a terrible spring training game, like in yeah. terms of you know, uh, the mistakes and yet young pitchers who couldn't throw strikes. Uh, you know, there were constant pitching changes in the middle of an inning. There were a ton of runs. There were a ton of hits. And what was it? Three hours and one minute? One minute. Three hours and one minute. You know, the truth was both of the games that, that our crew did were not great baseball games. And they were each 3-0-1. And the first one between the Mets and the uh, Cardinals was two hours and 59 minutes. Both of those games would have been nearing four hours maybe over we, you're just not going to see that on a regular basis let alone a sporadic basis during the regular season you're not and that you know think about worst case scenario we i think we kind of saw it three hour baseball game and, and you know i bet at some point as i listen to our conversation the commissioner morgan sword whoever it is with major league baseball Raul abanez you know they're going to come out and say look we, we wanted to shave off some time here, but we're, we're so fixated on three hours, you know, 250, three. It's like, that's not, the point is, does the game move at a better pace? The, the actual time on the clock when it's over shouldn't really matter as long as the pace has been improved. And that surely is the case. Like you, that can't even be, you can't deny it. And it's not something that's going away. That's fact. So something else that I definitely noticed this week in these four games that uh, that ESPN did is that the the feature that we started a few years ago, where you mic up players during the course of games, 
This yeah. has become normalized. And now people are open to it. Look, Paul Goldschmidt would be the first to tell you that, you know, the idea of wearing a microphone during the course of a game and having uh, give and take with a booth is not something that he has a reflex to do. But he told me that, you know, he said, you know what, I, I watch golf and I see them doing it and I really like it. And if that's what fans want to see, that's great. So he was one of the people who agreed to do it. You know, we had yesterday uh, you know, examples of, of teammates on both teams talking yeah. to each other with the booth during the course of the game. It was incredible fun. And I, yeah. you, you do get the feeling that, yes, while the Yankees, you know, during the regular season will probably not be a team where they're going to say, yeah, we can we can mic up uh, the pitcher. Uh, you know, they're going to be more conservative. Generally speaking, you see that ball moving down the field, too, Carl. Yeah, look, there's no that the evolution of microphones and players and communication is here and it's going to evolve. Look, personally, the two teammates talking with each other is unbelievable. And there are certain criteria you need, like, you know, Justin Turner and Kike Hernandez are longtime friends. They're current roommates down in Florida. Uh, the conversations that they share during the game about some of the things that they're dealing with, you know, off the field. Kike Hernandez goes to a wine and a painting event the night before, walks into the house where Turner is and says, I'm Picasso. I, like, I, I painted this picture. No, no one would ever be exposed to that. Um, I use my wife as an example. Somebody who watched the game learned an awful lot more about the personality of Christian Arroyo that we would not have known otherwise. His little Kenley Jansen impression was unbelievable. Look, Roger Clemens humanized himself yesterday, and he wasn't even part of the game, but he joined us and, and shared a secret about the way that, that he called his own pitches by using his eyes and kind of geared Posada to the outside. This is a fastball down, whatever it was. So all of these things make for a better experience. The caveat and the one you know glitch in all of it is going to be when you are having a conversation or a player is communicating and a ball is hit to them and, and something goes wrong, because that's clearly the, you know, the cause for concern on the player is, uh, and the manager, we got to win the game. I mean, this is a regular season game. It means something. We can't jeopardize that as sensitive as we all are to recognizing when you engage, et cetera, it's baseball. It's, you know, there is no script. Something's going to happen. And, and that's that's going to be sort of that's going to be the line of demarcation. How do you deal with that when it happens? Yeah, I remember last year when we had the Mets and Francisco Lindor exactly. was talking with the booth. And you you I know you already started laughing because you remember the moment. And there's this absolute rocket hit to him with two outs. And the thought flashed into my brain, like, please make the play. Please make the yep. play. Please make the play. Because I know Buck Showalter, you know, Buck Showalter. And I know. Francisco Lindor, if he doesn't make that play, he's probably never wearing a microphone for us again. <laughs> right. Exactly. And he said it. He had the same thought. Oh, my gosh, I'm talking. Let me make this play. Please let me make this play. So, yeah, that that I mean, look, that's it's like Little League. You know, uh, God forbid one of these Little Leaguers sit on the mound, take a take a rocket off the bat. That That's the, one of those line of demarcations where you, you haven't seen it, but these kids are so big and you're like, what's going to happen when? When that happens, and let's hope it never happens, and let's hope a player never is involved in a play where they're talking and they're, you know, they're confused, they're they're preoccupied, and it prevents them from doing their job. We don't, obviously, we don't ever want that. So last year, I felt like you put Aaron Judge's season on a T in terms of 
where his mindset was at at the beginning of the year after he turned down the Yankees $213.5 million offer. Uh, you walked up to him near the batting cage and asked him about, man, that's a essentially, that's a risk walking away from that kind of money. And he said something along the lines of, I'm in a good place. Well, that stuck <laughs> with me the whole year, that conversation. I'm curious about these four days. Give me a conversation that really stuck out at you. Well, that's a good one. I mean, all of all of the conversations were, you know, associated with the rule changes. Uh, and the other one was the WBC. I think one of the more interesting conversations I had was with Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals. Um, and that's hardly dismissive of all the other great conversations I had with the players that we saw. But Edmond was uh, was great because he he's a a, he's a smart guy. He's a thinker. He's analytical. He's probably going to benefit from every one of the rule changes. He's so athletic up the middle. It's going to emphasize that. He's a guy that's going to steal a lot more bases because the Cardinals are certainly in tune with the bigger bases, et cetera. Um, he's, he's physically, you know, sort of in a place where not many other athletes are. He's, he's stocky, he's short, he's fast, he's strong. And, and, you know, he's been kind of the consistent guy there, but like Trey Turner, I think, is going to benefit from being in New York and some ballparks and maturity and the rules. I think Edmund is going to do the same thing. And he, he was just delighted by those changes. And also the idea that, you know, after the game, he hopped on the flight that I was on to Atlanta. And then I was on my way to Florida for this game that we did yesterday. And he's on his way to Korea for the World Baseball Classic. And I saw pictures of him once he got there from our old KBO friend, Daniel Kim. Mm. This is a real fascinating, wonderful time in, in a lot of these guys' lives. And, and Edmund is one of them. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, for me, I think it was a conversation I had with the, the Red Sox third baseman, Raphael Devers, yesterday. Uh, first off, the fact that he would, you know, essentially do an in, what was an interview in his second language. You know, players just always amaze me. And how quickly yeah. they adapt, because, you know, in the first years of Rafi's career, our communication, because I don't speak Spanish, uh, yep. is essentially a hand wave, a smile. How you doing? Very simple. Well, yesterday had this great conversation with Rafi in English, which is impressive in itself. But I asked him, I saw you congratulate him on the contract. I congratulate him on the contract. Three hundred and thirteen and a half million dollars. And then I asked him, you know, what was the, the gift you gave yourself? What was the reward you gave yourself? And he got that great rappy smile this little sort of shy smile and he goes and i asked him i said was it a house was it a car was it something else he goes it was a car and then he paused he goes a range rover and he got it all tricked out and it's going to be waiting for him back in boston for the start of the season and then after you know and he told me that uh after he signed that contract his family had a not just a gathering of his family members but the whole neighborhood like 40 to 50 people. He said, huge number of people came over to the house. They're all celebrating together. His his mom, he said, was making chicken and rice. And in our conversation, I could see Rafi. He's like looking for the word for chicken. He goes, polo, polo, chicken. And <laughs> right, it, was, right. it was so great to see his face and his happiness. And in the back end of that, Carl, he looked at me and he goes, do you think, how good do you think we're going to be? And I was like, I don't think you're going to be very good. Like I, I, I a lot of injury risk. And we talked about how the Red Sox were really cohesive in 2018 and they were cohesive in 2021. And I felt like they weren't last year. And I mentioned yeah. to him, I said, look, even if you don't make the playoffs, the biggest thing for me is that you guys get back to being this way, Carl. 
Uh, and I felt that yesterday that you did feel like this group is going to at least be together at the beginning of the year. Well, it's interesting what it is that unifies teams. And it's funny how at the end of the year, when most teams are hoisting a trophy, one of the recurring themes that they repeat is, well, no, nobody really, nobody really picked us. Everybody was, you know, kind of against us. Nobody thought we could do this. The Red Sox clearly are one of those teams that are using that chip on their shoulder as a way to become tighter. Like nobody really believes in us. And one thing about athletes, you're never going to walk into a locker room or a clubhouse at the beginning of the season and have the athletes that are on that team think, yeah, they're, they're right. I mean, you can't do that. When your record is zero and zero, you can't go into a season thinking in our division, the Yankees are way better, the Blue Jays are way better, the Rays are way better. Like you cannot do that. Every one of those players is proud, as Alex Cora told us during the game. We got Cy Youngs. We got World Series rings. Like, don't, don't tell us that we suck. We don't think that way. And they believe if a lot of things go right, they got a real chance to compete. And you and I or anybody else that's out there with some negativity is not going to knock that off of them. There's no way. So we'll see. They believe. And I think you're right. I think they're a, they're a close group. And maybe that's one of the reasons they feel closer, united. We're, we're in this together. Nobody believes. Let's go. And the other team we saw yesterday, the Phillies, you know, they barely made the playoffs, 87 wins. But the team in 2023, Carl, I think is going to be much closer to what we saw in the postseason, you know, that came yeah. within a couple of wins of winning the World Series than what we saw during the regular season. That group really feels good about itself. Yeah, I look, I, you know, to me, they're they're in a lot of ways, they're the Houston Astros of the uh, of the National League. I, I think Turner is is an MVP. I think he's going to win the MVP if he's healthy. I think all these rule changes uh, really benefit him. I think being in that ballpark benefits him. I think, uh, you tell me, uh, just listening to the way Dave Dombrowski talked yesterday, barring some weird thing happening in the spring, Andrew Painter's on that team. I mean, he is on that team. He's going to be really good. There may be bumps early, but he's surrounded by Nola and Wheeler and other veterans on that team. And, and it's sort of like when you think about the perfect formula for success, veterans, for sure. They're going to get Harper back at some point in the middle of the season. Like, that's a huge boost that other teams aren't getting. They're good enough to stay in contention with the Mets and the Braves. They benefit from not having to play them as often as last year. Castellanos is determined to be a better player. Bryson Stott is coming off, as he told us yesterday. I watched every single playoffs game. I watched every World Series with the volume at 10, and he recognized there were some deficiencies in his swing at the end of the season. So what you hope for is your players work on certain things that take them to another level. And I look at Castellanos and Stott as two examples. Bone put on 10 pounds of muscle. Like They're all seemingly doing things to improve themselves. and. I feel really good about the Philadelphia Phillies in a very, very hard division. Yeah, Bohm was funny yesterday when we talked to him during the yeah. course of the game about his work off his workout, and he goes, "You know, if I keep getting asked about it, I'm going to get drug tested." Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I agree. He looks like he's growing, and I, I I'm kind of thinking about writing this story, Carl. Tell me what you think about this. Um, after I walked away from the Phillies yesterday, I thought about a fun article: would be the best clubhouse guys ever. Uh, for me, in the last 
15, 20 years, I think the best was CC Sabathia. You know, you heard the stories about how inclusive he was, how when he was with the, the Indians, uh, how he would have any cookout was at his house. Right. And his mom would yeah. be the one who would cook. And he pulled everybody together. Kyle Schwarber, I think, is that guy right now, Carl. I mean, great, the stories yeah, great, that I was one. hearing, and first off, and you saw this and I did too, you know, he comes onto the field before any of the other Phillies. He walks over the Red Sox and it's like a, a returning hero. And yeah. there, that was the conversation among some of the Red Sox players last year. Like, man, do we miss Schwarbs? And yeah. then you sort of see the impact he's having on the Phillies. He's in the middle of everything. He's in the middle of everything. Wasn't didn't one of the Red Sox kind of jokingly say, "Well, wait a minute, we we rolled out the red carpet." Schwarber was using a medicine ball in our clubhouse or in our in our <laughs> weight facility. <laughs> they were joking about that. Look, when when Schwarber threw his bat down and complained about the strike zone uh, a couple of years ago, and he pointed to his bench and to the other bench, he's like, "Look, this is about baseball. This is about all of us out here. We're we're getting messed with. You're not just screwing our team; you're screwing their team." You know, figure this strike zone out. He's a bridge builder. I mean, and he's the easy guy to gravitate to. You know, he's he's kind of throwback, acknowledges his workout routine is a little different. He was joking about a fastball that, that felt like it was a thousand miles an hour when it was probably 91, his first swing of the spring. He's a human being. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of these guys are portrayed otherwise, and they don't necessarily do anything to change that. The microphones do just that, but Schwarber walks in and you're like, that's my guy. I'm gonna, That's like, who do you want to hang out with from baseball, similar to your, you know, your column? Who's sort of the three guys you want to go to dinner with or have a beer? Kyle Schwarber is on the list. I mean, he's, he's on the list. So, yeah, I agree. I think it'd be a great article. I think it'd be a great article. And it'd be great to hear from the other players because there's probably a few guys in clubhouse that you don't think about that serve that role that we wouldn't know about. Nelson Cruz, you know, is another guy. He hears so many stories about how, you know, he draws people in. And, and part, part of the reason why I think Schwarber is able to do that is uh, he doesn't think of himself as being a big deal. Like he doesn't right. put himself above anybody. And he has unbelievable humility when it comes to talking about his own career. Yesterday was he gave us an example that Ken Revisa, you know, the late great uh, mental yes, skills coach great. for the Chicago Cubs. He gave us an example of what Ken Revisa told him about. Uh, you know, imagine swinging a bat. Uh, he, he literally jumped on his back, climbed on Schwarber's back and said, OK, imagine yourself mentally trying to deal with this because that's the burden you take on when you're thinking about past struggles and, you know, your your issues that you're having. The way he related that was so great. And it's part of what draws yeah. people in. Before you go, I think you want to join me in a shout out, say, to Andy Fletcher, who is the home plate umpire yesterday. Uh, there was a situation the first inning in which he called a, a violation on the catcher who had, you know, attempted to call timeout with eight seconds left. And we didn't know exactly what was going on. And so I went out between innings and I asked him, I said, hey, what uh, what was it? What was the ruling that you just made right there? He goes, you know what? I don't know if I got it right. He said, I'm I'm still learning all these new rules. And so he talked with the other umpires in between the next half inning. And then he came back to me, walked over to where I was and said, hey, just want to let you know uh, that I got that wrong. And what I should have done is just charge the team, uh, the Phillies, with a, uh, you know, a disengagement uh, rather than, uh, you know, call a, a ball on the catcher. And I, I just thought it was great. I mean, first off, yeah. how many years do we talk about, we, you know, we're sitting up in the booth. Uh, we're watching the game. We don't know what's going on. And, and it felt like we didn't necessarily have access to the umpires. 
not only could we find out what happened, but I just respect the fact that he's like, hey, we're learning. He's being honest and he's telling us exactly what was what 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 wrong so we can get it right, too. Yeah. Now, I look, everybody benefits from transparency all the time. But in the case of these new rules, we acknowledge they're new. It's implied. Not everybody knows them. They're new. And the interpretation of them still has some gray area. So the idea that he acknowledged, like, look, I, I got it wrong. <laughs> the, the catcher calls timeouts, calls a timeout with under eight seconds on the pitch clock. Like, in, just sort of intuitively, given all these rules, you're like, I don't think he can do that. And if you do that, okay, then there's some consequence. And the consequence isn't a ball, which is what he called. It's one disengagement. You're allowed three before there's a box. So it doesn't necessarily penalize you to the extent that a Bach would, but there was something there that he just knew probably wasn't right. Like, we can't stop this. This is the whole point of pace of play. So, to, uh, yes, absolutely uh, a thank you and a credit to Andy Fletcher, and you hope all the umpires uh, realize, as we do, we're all in this together. You know, nobody is yet at the point where you're going to go up and say, you didn't know that rule? Like, how, how did you not know that yet? Because very few people know them yet. Yeah. I mean, what we talked about with Schwarber is exactly what we could say about Andy Fletcher. The humility that he worked yeah. with yesterday was was really cool. Yeah. So. All right, Ravi. Uh, thanks for doing this. Have a good time today. All right, but we'll see you uh, Houston, right? Houston White Sox to kick things off. Well, March we'll be on Zoom before that. We'll be on a podcast before that. We'll see you next week. <laughs> you got that. I'm talking about our next baseball game. But yes, I'll see you next week. See you guys. The Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers have been baseball's model of stability, reaching the postseason each of the last 10 seasons, including in 2022, when they won 107 games, the best in the majors. But 2023 could be a year of transition. And with the Padres all in to win, the Dodgers appear as vulnerable as they've been in a long time. Newcomers. With the front office intent on slashing the team's payroll in 2023, perhaps in preparation for pursuit of Shohei Otani in the fall, the Dodgers made some short-term investments, adding J.D. Martinez, Miguel Rojas for infield depth, and David Peralta, the longtime Diamondbacks outfielder. Gone, but not forgotten. Trey Turner was the number two hitter for the Dodgers last year, scored 101 runs and drove in 100. Cody Bellinger is gone after winning a Rookie of the Year award, a Gold Glove award, and an MVP for the Dodgers. Tyler Anderson was an important part of the Dodgers rotation last year and signed with the Angels. Justin Turner was not only one of the Dodgers' most consistent hitters in recent seasons, he was a clubhouse leader. Breakout star. Miguel Vargas, 23 years old, will get a chance to establish himself in the Dodgers infield after posting a 9.15 OPS in AAA last season. The X Factor. With Gavin Lux out for the season, the Dodgers are already scrambling in their search for answers at shortstop. Maybe that'll be Chris Taylor or Miguel Rojas, or maybe they'll eventually make a trade for someone like the Orioles' Jorge Mateo. It's possible this will be an ongoing issue for a team that led the majors in victories last year. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Pakota pegs them at 95.1. Sarah Lang's 94. Hembos is 96. I've got them at 94. It'll be more of a struggle than we're accustomed to for L.A. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. 
Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com, talking to us from Arizona. Sarah, how you doing? I am doing great, Buster. Seeing baseball today, getting to see Bruce Bochy uh, in the Rangers-Giants game, so I'm very excited about that. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, and say hi to Boch for me and tell him I, I still brag about his 10 to 15 foot jump shot. And I don't know if it was actually a jump shot, but a 10 to 15 foot shot that uh, he always was very reliable on with the uh, in rec ball. I love it. I absolutely will. Absolutely. Okay. We're going to start with a bleacher tweet today. SB Brazington. Her name is Sarah uh, writes. I'm heading down to Florida for two spring training games, March 27, 28. No friends can join me. How do I get the most out of my solo experience? Is Sarah Lang's available to hang out? We should have a it's such a fun time talking about how, quote, unquote, baseball is the best. Any chance you'll be at the Braves spring training games, March 27, 28? I will not be because I'll be getting ready for our opening day game on ESPN a couple of days later. But I love being in a game by myself. I used to do that a whole lot. And I would say that my fellow Sarah should just taking everything around her and, you know, don't be shy about talking with a, you know, seatmate. If something seems to catch your eye, you're reacting to the same play, something like that. But being there by yourself is a great way to really observe everything around you. So I think she will have a great time. I'm sorry I can't be there. So we talked about how the baseball writers dinner, Julio Rodriguez, sought you out, wanted to meet you. I'm curious, since you've been in Arizona, uh, if you've had someone ask you for a picture, pose for a picture. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, no. Thank goodness. That would be a lot for me, I think. Uh, but I did get a chance to uh, chat with Dimebacks manager, Tori Lavello. He made sure to come out of the dugout before a game the other day just to say hi. I met him uh, back at the winter meeting. So, I mean, you know, people are so wonderful. My parents keep uh, commenting on that, that, you know, we go by, we see writers and people who work for some of these teams who stop to say hi, say something to me, and it's way too kind and very, very nice. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 99. So... The other day, we talked about Andrew Pandor, and then he made his debut, so I figured we could uh, update on them. So he had 99 in that debut with his four-seamer. He averaged 96.8 on 19 four-seamers, and you were, you know, we were talking about how hitters really looked like they were a bit overwhelmed by what he was throwing out. And now I'll mention uh, that historical note I kind of teased for you guys on the broadcast and for us uh, on Tuesday. So we were talking, getting ready for the game you guys had on ESPN with the Phillies yesterday. 
And I don't remember who started the line of thinking, but there was this idea that there have been some young players to debut on Dave Dombrowski run team. Uh, I'm just going to take, Sarah, I'm just going to interrupt you and take credit for it. That was my thought. Good, good. Okay, I was hoping, (laughs) but I didn't want to be wrong. You know, I never want to be wrong. All right, so Buster had this great idea about guys to debut at a young age on Dave Dombrowski-run teams and maybe an age where other teams might not have called them up. So I dug around a little bit. We obviously mentioned Josh Beckett and Rick Porcello, but if you go a little deeper, there's also Ryan Dempster in 1998 for the mm. Marlins. He had made five AAA starts before debut, and Jeremy Bonderman in 2003, after having one minor league year, all at high A the year before. And the common thing here, these were all high school pitchers. So it seems to point toward the idea that Andrew Painter is going to get a real good shot. Number two. Number two is 98.9. So uh, we're going to update on a few young pitchers. Next up is Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles. He's their number two prospect, the number seven prospect overall, going to MLB Pipeline. He was up to 98.9 yesterday in his debut in the spring. He averaged 97.9. And there was this really cool note about his extension that my colleague David Appler pointed out. His average release extension was 7.4 feet. Wow. That would have been exactly. That would have been tied for fifth highest in the majors last season. That's going to be really fun to watch. Number one. Number one is 101. So one other young pitcher I want to talk about because we get backcast data, especially down in Florida, is Nate Pearson, who was a big-time prospect for the Blue Jays pitch in 2020, was amazing in his debut, then dealt with the injuries in 2021, did not pitch at the major league level last year, His big thing was velocity. Yesterday, 14 fastballs, average 99.2, and had a 101-mile-an-hour strikeout. Really good to see after all those injuries. I'm not sure how they plan to use him, but I remember watching him in the Dominican Winter League this offseason. Pitching 12 games, he allowed one unearned run. And I was thinking, hey, maybe he will finally be back. That'd be great for the Blue Jays and for Blue Jays fans. So my, and I don't, you know, I haven't officially asked anybody with the Blue Jays this, but my understanding is, is that, uh, that they are going to use him out of the bullpen. And, you know, in my time covering baseball, there are definitely pitchers who emotionally are better suited to pitch out of the bullpen than be starting pitchers. You know, I've had relievers tell me that when they were starters, they hated the five days between starts because it was all this buildup. It was like an NFL Sunday, you know, that they felt more comfortable just sitting in the bullpen and reacting to the phone ringing. And I kind of wonder if Nate Pearson is one of those guys, Sarah. Like, I, I think that'll be better for him. What jumped out to me, by the way, about that data about Andrew Painter that you sent me the other day was for a guy who's 6'7", 
while it looked like he was throwing downhill, and I guess he is, literally, and the hitters always look like they're swinging uphill the other day, his stride is actually not that long. And that yeah. was a surprise to me when you sent that. So that uh, that Grayson Rodriguez note is remarkable how long his stride is. And that is bad. For someone who throws that hard with that long of a stride, that's bad news for hitters. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about something called perceived velocity. We don't always measure it. But I can just tell you that if it pitches up to 98.9 and the guy is releasing it from 7.4 feet closer to you than average, that is going to look like a lot more than 98.9. So to your point, that is really, really tough for hitters. And it was interesting with Painter because I took a look at his extension and it was about 6.4 feet. So that was slightly above the MLB average for last year, but he also doesn't need it because he's throwing about 100. So, you know, all of these guys use this in such different ways, but I was pretty impressed to see uh, Grayson Rodriguez's extension be like that in this spring training game. Yeah, this is me talking. I, I mean, he, he was good enough to be on the Orioles roster in the first uh, part of the year before they promoted him to the big leagues. You wonder, if they had had Grayson Rodriguez in the big leagues, if they had had Gunnar Henderson in the big leagues earlier, if they kept those guys at the trade deadline, Taylor, they, they had so many opportunities to get better last year. Wow, that's weird, Buster. That's this is breaking news to me, man. I wish I yeah. could watch. I wish I could have watched that pitching performance yesterday, Sarah. That would have been fun live. Oh no, <laughs> was it not on TV? Of course, it wasn't. Masson, oh, no. for you. You're talking. You're hearing the uh, you know an Orioles fan going down Bitter Boulevard, Sarah. So I'll <laughs> I'll rescue you from that. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Minnesota Twins. The Twins had a season to forget in 2022, losing 84 games and winning 78. Minnesota dropped 22 of its last 33 games, a frustrating collapse. Newcomers. We probably should include Carlos Correa in this category because when he walked out the door at the end of the Twins 2022 season, there was no expectation he would return. And that was before he twice agreed to proposals with other teams. But he's back now to be joined by Christian Vasquez, a good defensive catcher, and Joey Gallo and Michael Taylor, good defensive outfielders. The Twins also traded for starting pitcher Pablo Lopez and utility man Kyle Farmer. Gone, but not forgotten. To get Lopez, the Twins traded Luis Arise, really doesn't have a natural position, and they let catcher Gary Sanchez walk as a free agent, along with starting pitchers Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer. Fault lines. Byron Buxton's career has been filled with injuries, of course, and the Twins hope that they can use the DH in some days to get Buxton off his feet, but still in the lineup. After Correa failed physicals with the Giants and the Mets, there will be a lot of focus on the availability of the shortstop. He told reporters at the outset of spring training that he feels great, but he acknowledged that he'll alter his regimen after absorbing the opinions of specialists who fret that his mobility could decline in his early to mid-30s because of the effects of a broken leg in 2014. The X Factor. The Twins have built an exceptional defense that'll support what should be a good pitching staff. Correa, Buxton, Max Kepler, Joey Gallo, Michael A. Taylor, and Christian Vasquez are all highly regarded for their glove work. Breakout star. 
Jose Miranda hit 25 doubles and 15 homers in 125 games last season, and the Twins expect his production to grow, hitting behind Correa and Byron Buxton. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Hembo says 86 wins for the 2023 Twins. Pakota has Minnesota at 87.9. I've got the Twins at 88. Sarah Lang says 88. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz, a graphic artist who's working be seen on ball fields all around the country, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, welcome back to the podcast for 2023. Buster, I am so excited. It is a new season. Spring is in the air. The light looks a little different. We're going to change the clocks, and uh, I'm just so grateful and happy to be back with you. So I'm going to ask you in future weeks about what you're seeing in the in the game and the way that it's transitioning this year with the with the the, the pitch clock, et cetera. Um, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to wait a little bit longer to get your observations on that because we've been filling it up with the podcast every day. So instead, I'm going to throw you this curveball. Uh, I just told Carl Ravitch the story of the conversation I had with Raphael Devers yesterday, and I asked him what gift he gave himself after he signed that whopper $313.5 million deal. You're a Red Sox fan. I'm sure you're happy that he's going to be around for the foreseeable future, but he got that great Raffy grin, and he acknowledged, he said, a car. And he got a Range Rover, which he has, he designed it. He said it's waiting for him in Boston. If you were to sign a $313.5 million deal, what do you think might be a gift to yourself? Well, Buster, that's a great question. And I am not the kind of person who likes things. I mean, we all like things, but I. You're not a car guy either. I am not. I have a car and I want to get rid of it because I live in a city and it's a pain in the, you know what? Um, you know, I have a lovely place to live. I would want to, I am a, I am, a, I've reached the point in my life and maybe you can relate where experiences are better than stuff, right? Maybe I would buy myself an incredible watch. Maybe I would buy myself, you know, some, some hot sneakers. All right. Those are low budget items, but I would probably put it in buckets. You put a third of it away, uh, approximately, if not more for taxes. You take a third of it and you invest it wisely. And, you know, I would take I would take several vacations that would be uh, off the charts, five-star hotels, restaurants, interesting experiences. And um, and you can have my car if you really need it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, or maybe Raphael Devers needs my Subaru. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you're talking about things. I've told my kids because in the last 18 months, I've thrown out so many uh, of my possessions and I've told my kids that they need to thank me in advance of my death because I'm saving them so much time for after the fact that they won't have to go through it. It'll all be taken care of. It'll all be, you know, slimmed down to uh, to what they actually might want and need rather than them having to sort through it. Yeah. I Hey, listen, I moved in November. And, uh, you know, holidays came around shortly thereafter. And I had the same conversation with my offspring as we as they they entered my new place for the first time in a new city. And, uh, you know, the the burden of all of that, Buster, it's a very could be a topic for a whole separate (laughs) podcast, actually. Right. Exactly. All right. So our theme of the year is going to be unveiled in a future podcast. Uh, we are also going to start the quiz, uh, I believe, next week. 
Uh, so we'll save those for, for later in spring training. These are This is like an early exhibition time when you're just getting a couple of reps in, a couple of innings, a couple of swings. When I ask you what you're seeing on fields, it's catching your eye. Yeah, so from a visual perspective, Buster, 2023 is going to be a different kind of season because we are going to see advertisements in the form of patches on major league uniforms uh, throughout the season. A handful of teams, including the Astros, Angels, Red Sox, Diamondbacks, Padres, and Reds to this point, have announced sponsorship deals with ads on patches. And while I don't want to give air to these advertisers, unless they're paying you and I and ESPN, which I'm not sure they are, uh, but we've got uh, a gamut of, of conglomerates uh, and smaller companies, supermarket chains, telecommunications, insurance, this kind of thing. And it's going to take some getting used to, Buster. But here's the really weird aspect of this. As sports fans, we have, I think, grown accustomed to this here in the U.S. since the NBA broke the seal on ads on uniforms several years ago. And part of the reason that uh, I think this has kind of been a smooth transition is that the NBA presents their advertisements in a very singular place on every team's uniforms. But in MLB, the ads are going to shift from the right to the left sleeve depending upon the handedness of a particular player. No kidding. Yeah. So you'll see guys with, you know, with with ambidextrous players, switch hitters. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But as an example, Buster, the Cincinnati Reds are going to have a prominent uh, Midwestern supermarket chain advertising on their uniforms. And Mr. Red or Running Man, the guy, the little red guy with the big baseball head and the mustache, you know, whereas he was running right to left, paraphrasing before, he's also going to be running uh, left to right, depending upon which sleeve the other unit, the, the ad is placed on. So it's kind of a strange thing. It's going to take some getting used to. And let's face it, some of these things look better than others. Briefly, too, uh, just in researching this over the years, this plan was first proposed back in the late 90s. And it was considered to be such a fait accompli that uh, there are quotes from Gene Orza, who was the second in command at the Players Union uh, for all these years, saying, the talks are very preliminary to even discuss that it's to give them substance they don't deserve. But be assured that whatever we do, it will be tasteful. A small logo on the uniform. At that time, they were contemplating a an inch to an inch and a half logo on a sleeve. Buster, these are approximately four inches. So bigger is, I don't know if it's better, but bigger is everything in 2023. Well, and in some ways, uh, I know that there's no way that they this was all planned as part of a larger concept. Uh, if you're going to do that, if you're going to roll out ads, maybe uh, this is the year to do it because a lot of the old school baseball fans who don't like the, the pitch clock, don't like the changes, they're going to be offended anyway, right? Yeah. You might as well just rip off the Band-Aid. No, it's true. And, you know, listen, for those of us who uh, work in that part of the industry, we've seen it coming for years, the, the – uh, Collective bar- bargaining agreement, which was agreed to last year, gave uh, a year runway to get this thing done. And that's why it's happening now. But listen, you know, NHL is rolling out ads on uniforms. Um, other countries, of course, we saw the World Cup with, you know, with the look that, that those uniforms have had for many years. So, yeah. And, and let's face it, Buster, we can contemplate 
some of the teams that have not yet connected with the with 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 on on uniform sponsors, let's call them their ads. What do the Yankees have on their uniforms when they make an enormous deal? What is that company? Just speculating. What are the synergies? I mean, we've seen this in the NBA. Lesser markets, let's say, have lesser sponsors, but uh, the biggest of the big have uh, have pretty in- impressive partners. Yeah, well, 60 years ago, uh, the Yankees definitely would have had U.S. Steel, yes. right? Because that's, that's what they were always compared to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and, you know, let's face it, we've, we've seen this uh, in connection with ballpark naming rights as well. If, if, the, if the Dodgers were ever to rename Dodger Stadium, and let's hope they don't, well, it would have to take a, uh, a, pretty, a pretty serious thing to make that happen. Lastly on this, one of my favorites was when the Giants were constructing their new ballpark in the late 90s. Uh, the thought was, uh, well, maybe Ralph Lauren will come in and call it the Polo Grounds, which I thought would have been brilliant, <laughs> but it never happened. That would have been awesome. Uh, before you go, tell me a, a uniform change that's caught your eye in these early spring games, uh, you know, some sort of a, a design change that you really like. The other day I was watching the Twins broadcast and one of their club executives was saying how that uh, uniform change has been well-received. What's jumped out of you? Yeah, I think it's definitely the Twins. Buster, the past couple of years because of uh, pandemic production issues and the rolling in of Nike as MLB's uh, on-field supplier of uniforms, we haven't seen epic changes, um, you know, en masse, the way that we used to, say, a decade ago. But the Twins definitely stand out. The Twins have opted for a cleaner look, kind of devoid of outlines on their uniform lettering. It's sort of retro, but it's uh, in an updated way. Um, and I think one of the interesting things is across the boards this year, all MLB teams will have what Nike and so much depends upon them, but they're calling it a four plus one plan. So teams are limited to four uniforms plus their city connect Jersey, more marketing jargon. I'm going to have a couple of teams rolling out city connect, uh, jerseys this season, a number of them actually, um, it's not officially been announced who they are, but we can speculate but anyway, uh, you know, some of these clubs that have had six different uniforms, the Mariners used to have a ton of uniforms. Um, Mariners aren't even, aren't even going to have a gray road jersey this year. So uh, things are going to be a little bit different. But to your point, the Twins definitely stand out. Still red, white, and blue. One other one that I kind of like, Buster, being, uh, as I always say, a child of the 70s and 80s, the Kansas City Royals will have a full-on powder blue look. So get ready for George Brett to go ballistic over pine tar. <laughs> and yeah, and and if you don't know what Todd's uh, referring to, uh, you t- find that on YouTube and uh, check out the color of his uniform there. One of the great moments in baseball history. All right, Todd, uh, good to see you again, and we'll talk to you next week. Great to be back. Thank you, guys. Bleacher tweets. Already, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Friday. Mark Suhu at Mark Suhu writes in with pitchers calling their own pitches. Are catchers wearing an earpiece? I was trying to imagine how it can be audibly relayed to the catcher without the batter hearing it while still not blocking the catcher's ability to hear. Right. And Mark sent that question in 
And then yesterday in the Twins game, Kenta Maeda was facing the Blue Jays, and that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Jays, no, excuse me, it was the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays hitters could hear every pitch call that was being made by Kenta Maeda, uh, relaying that to the catcher. So an adjustment needs to be made there. Spring training, baby. Trevor Dunning at Montana underscore Met writes in, now that the AL and NL have the same DH rules, do you think there should be one MVP per year and not two? Nah, I, I still, I mean, because in the end, the AL and the NL are going to be distinct. We have the champion of the AL plays the champion of the NL in the World Series, for example. So I'm, I'm still keeping two MVPs. Last one for the week, Gregory Gosnell at Carl's Jr. 9982 writes, in any chance the Yanks send IKF to Lad to open the door for Volpe, cheap rental would affect the uh, luxury tax next year. Well, they actually sent Gavin Lux. It wouldn't affect Gavin Lux's status next year. Uh, in other words, you essentially get a guy for one year. We talked in the podcast with Alden the other day that the Yankees and Dodgers actually had conversations during the offseason about IKF as the Dodgers look for some depth in their infield. They wound up, uh, you know, settling on Rojas. Who knows? Maybe that'll happen. Uh, as we talked about the other day, though, the, the money potentially, because IKF's making $6 million this year, that potentially could be a factor. There was my Ron Burgundy moment. Lad, LA Dodgers, duh. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We'll be back next week. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, Rabbi, Todd, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.